Welcome to the Financial Wizard Podcast. This is personal finance in plain English for the rest of us. Join us each week as together we demystify money. And now, here's your host, Eric Henning. Hi there, this is Eric Henning. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, We're going to a longer format here that will hopefully let us get into some more depth to give you the help you need trying to demystify money. Now, uh, I know that on Friday I promised that we would talk about getting out of debt, and we will talk about getting out of debt, but there's a foundation I need to build first. It occurs to me I need to step back a little bit and give you the bigger picture here of kind of how we're going to try to organize our finances. Remember, I talked earlier about how there are only seven things we can do with money, right? We can earn it, we can spend it, we can borrow it, we can save it, we can invest it, uh, we can uh, protect it, and we can give it away or leave it behind, which are basically the same thing, one while we're alive and one afterwards. So that's it. I mean, seven legal things we can do. We're not going to talk about how we can, you know, waste money and how we can Uh, gamble and how we can steal money. Those are things that you can learn from a lot of other people, especially here where I am near Washington, D.C. So we that's not really in the scope of this podcast. We're going to stay with legal and ethical things for now. There's plenty of material to work with with that. Having said all of that, let's step back and get a little perspective here. We've been talking about spending, but I've kind of gotten ahead of myself a little bit. So let's back up to kind of a bigger picture of what we want to talk about. Um, how do you organize your money? Do you have a system? Is there a a structure that you can put together that'll make things a little easier to deal with? Or do you simply uh, deal with things as they come along? It occurs to me that for most of us, uh, handling money is kind of like being in a battle. Uh, We have these bills flying at us through the air and we're trying to swat at them with a sword or bat them away with a baseball bat. It's kind of this attack mode and we're for a lot of us, and I certainly have been there, we've been in crisis mode and we're just putting out fires, constantly putting out fires, solving problems, but never seem to be getting ahead or at worst seem to be falling further and further behind. So we need to have a plan of attack. We need to not just be in defensive mode all the time, but try to be proactive and build things that are positive and get control of this. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's the entire point of the Financial Wizard Enterprise to begin with, is to help you get uh, back on balance. If you feel like you're drowning, get back on dry land so you can reach out and help somebody else out of the water. So that's really what we're about here. That's what we're trying to do. Now, I have to say, parenthetically, that um, while I this is necessarily going to come off rather didactic from time to time, and it's necessarily sometimes going to sound like me lecturing you on what to do. Please be aware, I've made all of the mistakes, pretty much all of the mistakes you can make with money. I've, I've uh, done a lot of stupid things financially in my life. Uh, even while I was an investment professional, I still wasn't following a lot of my own advice uh, to my own detriment. So I've been there. You know, I've been in situations where I haven't known where I was going to stay or where my next meal was coming from. I've also been in positions where I've had plenty of money and have been very, very comfortable. I've been on all sides of this. But chances are, whatever struggle you're dealing with, I've probably had it too. So relax. (laughs) I've been there. I know the way out. And I'm going to help you find it. 
Okay, there's no judgment here. This is a judgment-free zone. So having said that, let's play a game. Let's play a little uh, thought experiment, if you will. All right? I'd like you to imagine, and don't close your eyes if you're driving, please. I'd like you to imagine uh, a short staircase, maybe steps leading up to a big porch at a nice, comfortable house out in the country. Okay? Three steps. That's all. Three stairs. A very short staircase. And imagine that sitting on the, in the middle of each of these stairs is a bucket. And it's one of those old-fashioned buckets. It's like a fire bucket with a, with a uh, uh, sort of a spout on one end of it. So it's easy to pour out. Can you picture that? That's great. Now imagine that there's a hose or a spigot above the top bucket and water's pouring out and trying to fill up the top bucket. This is kind of a picture of our finances. The, the spigot is our source of income. The water is the money. And that top bucket isn't filling up. That's because it's the debt bucket and it's got lots of holes in it. And it can't fill up because the water's leaking out the holes. These are the credit cards and other regular debt payments that we have to make. I'm not talking about our bills. That's a whole different thing. I'm talking about money we owe, money we have borrowed, student loans, credit cards, unsecured debt of various kinds. Okay? Uh, that's the debt bucket. Now, let's talk about what we mean when we talk about debt. I'm not talking about a home mortgage or a car loan where the car is worth more than what you owe. Uh, that's secured debt. Technically, that's not even really debt. It's a loan on something you own. Okay? Still have to pay for it because we don't want to lose the house. We don't want to lose the car. And it's still a monthly bill. But it's kind of in between the monthly bills you pay for your electric or gas or cable and the credit card you're trying to pay off. There's that territory in between. So we'll talk about those car loans and mortgages later on. Never fear. We'll do a whole episode about that. But right now, the things that are really leaking, the, the things that are causing a big hole in your budget, if it's not overspending, as we talked about last week, it's probably these debts. If you're paying more than a couple of hundred dollars a month, even if you're paying as much as $100 a month in credit card payments, that's too much. And we're going to show you how to do that over the course of the next few weeks. Can't do it all in one podcast, but we will get you there. But that's why the other two buckets are empty. is because that debt bucket can't fill up. So the first thing we need to do is we need to plug up the holes in the debt bucket. And we're going to be talking about precisely how to do that in just a few minutes. But I want you to get this picture. The debt bucket's leaking. We've got to patch it up. So we patch up the holes. And now the debt bucket is filling up. And now it's naturally overflowing into the spout and it's that water's flowing down the stairs into directly into that second bucket that's on the second step, which is exactly what we want. And that is the savings bucket. Now here's the good news. And I'm going to repeat this many times. The good news is if you're paying $500 a month in credit card payments, once those credit card payments are gone, once you've paid those cards off, you can pay $500 a month into savings. You have the ability, if you can make the payments when you owe the money, you can make the payments to yourself. It's just a question of giving yourself as much priority as you do the creditors you owe money to. So uh, that's the good news, is that once those debts are gone, you're going to be able to save like a fiend, like a beaver. You're going to be working so hard. You're going to be building up that savings, and it's going to be great. Now. 
the big question a lot of people have is how big is that savings bucket? How much savings do I really need? After all, you know, if I put money in the bank, it's not really doing much. These days, interest rates are very low. I'm not going to be even making up what I would be paying in taxes on that interest and certainly not going to be keeping up with the cost of living. Uh, things don't seem to be getting cheaper all the time. I mean, computers <clears throat> and televisions are, but certainly the cost of food and the cost of gasoline and utilities and things don't tend to go down over time. So that's true, and that's true. But savings are not there to make money. It's not there for you to earn a lot of return on. Savings are there as a safety valve. <clears throat> it's kind of like in the old automobiles, you would have a radiator, and the radiator would be a system of metal baffles with a tank attached to it, and the, and the water would flow through the metal baffles. The hot water coming from the engine would go through those metal baffles, and there was so much surface exposed to the air that the heat would dissipate in the air, and that would automatically cool down the water, and it would get recycled back into the engine. So you would have a water-cooled engine. But when the water was really hot, let's say in the summer, you have a closed system there, water expands. When it gets hot, the radiator could very much uh, overheat and you would have the, the cap would fly off and steam would come out and the car would stop working. Or when it got cold, the water would contract, possibly even freeze. How did you deal with that? Well, every one of those cars in the old days would have uh, an auxiliary tank. It would have a a tank attached to it that would be an overflow tank and when the water was hot it would overflow and expand into that tank and when it was cold it would draw more water out of that tank your savings is kind of like that overflow tank it grows and contracts as you need it now depending on your life circumstance that bucket that savings is is going to be a different size if you have a very secure, let's say, a government job, you're getting paid regularly every two weeks or twice a month or whatever it is, you have benefits, you have life insurance, health insurance, disability, all that stuff is covered, then you can probably get away with three months of living expenses in that savings bucket. So if your living expenses are $3,000 a month, you would need $9,000 in that savings account. Now, that sounds like a lot, but be aware that if you're sick and you can't work and you don't get paid uh, and you've used up your uh, vacation time, uh, when do you get paid again? Well, if you have disability insurance, which we'll talk about later, that's really the big gap in most people's financial plans. If you have disability insurance, most disability insurance doesn't begin paying until uh, you've been disabled for at least 90 days. Most of it doesn't start paying until you've been disabled. I know what the commercials say. Oh, I made a claim and it paid the next day. Well, that's true, but they won't a lot of times allow you to make a claim until you've been completely disabled or unable to do your job for at least 90 days. So you need three months of living expenses saved up in that savings account or a money market fund or whatever vehicle you can use. The vehicle, by the way, should be one that does not fluctuate in value and that you can get at on a moment's notice. CDs are not a great place for savings. Uh, they do have a place in an investment portfolio. We'll talk about that down the road, but uh, CDs are not necessarily the best place for savings. Now, you can a lot of times break into a CD, but then you end up losing that all that interest and you're behind where you were. So you have to decide. To me, at this point in 2018, the tiny bump in interest you get from a CD versus a savings account 
probably isn't worth it. All right. So that savings is there so that if you have an emergency, if you're not working, or if, let's say, the car breaks down, the roof caves in, the furnace blows up, something happens. And things always happen, by the way. You've got to have that margin. If you spend every dime you've got at the end of the month and you have nothing left over, you're leaving yourself vulnerable to whatever disaster comes down the road. And that's when we get into these problems. That's when we need to use the credit cards. Credit cards are not emergency savings. Okay. Your savings are emergency savings. So the savings are there. So you don't have to borrow money if you have a problem. So you don't end up back in debt. Okay. So you have the debt bucket. You fill, you, you patch that up and it overflows into the savings bucket. And once that bucket is full, oh, let's talk about other sizes. Let's say your position's not that secure. Let's say you are a contract employee um, and you might lose the contract or whatever. You might want to have more, maybe six months of living expenses saved up. If you run your own business, especially if it's a cyclical business like general contracting or uh, HVAC or something like that, where some months or you're at the mercy of the weather, like it's a lawn mowing business and maybe the other side of that business is snow plowing and there wasn't any snow. Um, then you're going to want to have a lot more savings. You might want to have eight to 12 months of living expenses saved up. I know it sounds shocking, but that can save you a lot of grief. I'm not saying you're going to have it instantly, but you want to try to build that up over time so that if you're out of work, you can still pay the bills while you're ramping up a new business or while you're looking for work. It's very important you have that savings saved up. So if you're running your own business, six months minimum, Six to 12 months living expenses is the best if you can manage it. Okay, again, you can take all the time you need to build that up, but it's going to be important to have that. All right, now, we've got the savings bucket, and that fills up, and now that spills into the investment bucket. That's the last bucket, the bottom rung. That's the one that fills up last. And the difference between savings and investments is savings is money whose primary virtue is availability. You're going to be able to get at it, right away if you have a problem okay it doesn't matter how much it's earning it really doesn't what matters is that it's accessible on a moment's notice you can grab it okay and this ranges from as i said savings accounts to money market funds at a bank or money market mutual funds where you have the ability to write a check on it investments are those things that are designed to provide long-term returns or short-term income and, and we'll get into that in much more detail down the road here. But basically, the point of an investment is you're buying a share in a business or you're lending money like a bank and you're getting a return. And you're either getting money now or you're getting money later. For example, if you buy, uh, if you lend money to a company, you're buying their bonds, you're collecting interest every six months. You're getting money now. You're not going to get a big return, but you're getting a more secure return. You're getting it that money now. Uh, and that's useful when you're retired because that's when you need to stop working for your money and have your money working for you. But let's say you're investing in stock in like Microsoft or Apple. You're not really interested in collecting money now. You want that money to grow so that in five or 10 or 20 years, you come back. It's worth a whole lot more than you started with so that then you can turn that money around and start earning income with it. Basically, when you invest, you're either investing for income now or income later. 
So you're either working and you're building up those investments and you want them to grow so that you can collect income later, or you want them to provide you with steady, ideally monthly income now because you're already retired and you've moved into that phase where your money's working for you. Okay. So investments are things where you want a long-term rate of return. You can afford to wait or you can afford to leave the money there. You're not going to touch the money for five to 10 years at least. I'm not talking about stock market speculation. I'm not talking about commodity futures. I'm not talking about options. For the most part, options are God's way of telling you you have too much money. And I say this as somebody who was trained by the head of the options department at a major New York stock exchange firm, and I did uh, options trading for a number of years in my job in the investment world. But this is something I know very well. There is one safe option strategy, but that's for advanced investors. And for most of us, it's a bad idea. So I'm just saying, I'm not talking about day trading. I'm not talking about jumping in and out of the market. In fact, probably the, one of the worst things about stocks is the, the fact that you can buy and sell them so easily. I mean, consider this. If I owned a million dollars worth of real estate and I needed to sell it in a hurry, I could sell it today. Uh, I'd take a haircut on the price and I'd probably make the front page of the Washington Post tomorrow, but I could do it. But if I had a million dollars worth of stock, I could move that within 10 seconds on the New York Stock Exchange and nobody will have known that I've been there. It's just that liquid. It's really easy to get in and out. And that's the problem. People are too tempted to jump when things go down and to jump back in when things go up. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Investing on emotion is the worst kind of speculation. This isn't a horse race. This isn't a beauty contest. It's not the NCAA bracket. You're not gambling. When you're investing, you're doing research, you're being prudent, you're being careful, and you're going to buy something that has a high quality and a good probability of giving you a good return over the long haul. And you already know this. You already understand this. Are you scared of the stock market? Well, you should be, because that's not investing. Playing the stock market is not investing. That's not what I'm talking about. Everybody's afraid of the stock market. Everybody's scared of the stock market, but nobody is afraid to invest in good, high-quality companies. Uh, and we will talk about ways to invest down the road. But for now, when I talk about investing, I'm talking about buying shares in companies you understand, whose products and services you may use, and who you know is going to be around for a while. You know, today's technology is tomorrow's trash, but today's brick is going to be tomorrow's brick. And people are still going to need bricks. People aren't going to stop using oil anytime soon. And there are ways that you can invest in things like fuel, grocery stores, automobiles, um, utilities, things that people are still going to be using for quite a long time. So relax. There are prudent ways to invest. I'm not going to say safe because safety means zero return. There's no such thing as a guaranteed investment. There is no such thing as a guaranteed investment. If you're looking for guarantees, then you either don't have the temperament to invest or you're going to live a very, very cold and hungry retirement. So you need to learn how to do this and get comfortable with the regular 
ordinary risks that you can mitigate. And again, we're going to talk about how you can do that. So let's circle back around. Again, we've talked about these three buckets, the debt bucket, the savings bucket, the investment bucket. And when we're talking about the investment bucket, there are, again, a lot of vehicles. The four main investment vehicles that most people are going to be working with are going to be stocks, bonds, real estate, and precious metals. Those are the basic four categories of investments. Okay. And we will talk about all of them and what place that they have. You never want to put all of your money into one of them, but we're going to be talking about that. And there are ways that you can do that without necessarily paying taxes today. There are IRA accounts, retirement accounts, uh, and things like that. We will talk about all of that as the weeks go ahead. Okay. And believe me, you can always ask me your questions at eric at thefinancialwizard.com. That's E-R-I-C at thefinancialwizard.com. I want to answer questions people are asking. I don't want to just go on here and bloviate and just do the file dump of everything I know. While that might be amusing for me and hopefully useful for you, I do want to deal with you know, where you're actually feeling pain. So send me your questions and that will help shape this enterprise and this podcast. All right. So I promised you I'd talk about the beginning steps of getting out of debt. So we're going to do that right now. Let's say you've got a stack of credit cards and you're making minimum payments and it's starting to hurt. Uh, it's a lot of money each month and it's cramping your style. That's usually the point at which most people start seriously thinking about getting out of debt is there has to be some level of pain. And I understand that. So let me tell you the five basic steps and we will go into much more detail in the coming weeks. I call them the five R's of debt reduction. And they are very simply, we refrain from borrowing anymore. We reduce the number of debts that we have. We reach out to the creditors. We renegotiate the interest rates and the payments. And then we ramp up and get that thing snowballing so that we can get out of debt faster than we ever thought possible. Now, this comes directly from experience. This is not pie-in-the-sky theory. Uh, probably, uh, well, more than 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago now, my late wife and I uh, were asked to put together a class on money at our church. I had uh, It had occurred to me that most churches were creating more financial stress for people, financial stress being a major component of stress that breaks up families and marriages and other things. And yet a lot of churches either don't talk about money at all or they talk about it with their handout. And I thought, what if a church actually helped people take care of this problem and reduce their level of stress and then didn't really ask for money afterwards? Would the giving take care of itself? And I'm pleased to say that we proved that at Cedar Ridge Community Church in Spencerville, Maryland. Um, and the way we did it was we did a money class. And the money class was designed to be exactly what we're doing now. Betsy helped me write it, or I should say I helped Betsy write it, and then we delivered it together in a small group format, a weekly meeting uh, where everything was confidential. And what we discovered was that after just a year, a uh, number of people were coming back to us. It was a six-week class, and after about a year, people started coming back to us saying, hey, you know what? We paid off our credit cards. You looked at it and told us it would be two to three years, and we got it done in a year. And we started seeing this over and over again. And within a couple of years, we actually started raising money to buy land and build a church building. And of the top 100 giving units, uh, the families that were giving, 30 of them had been through our class. So I know that this works. I know that this works because I've seen it work in people's lives. 
So these are the five steps. Again, refrain, reduce, reach out, renegotiate, and ramp up. So we're going to talk about the first two today and give you some homework. Uh, remember last week we talked about keeping track of your spending, and I hope you continue to do that. Now what I'd like you to do is get out the statements, all those credit card statements. Sit down with them, lay them out, and you're going to basically make a list or a table. And the table is going to look like this. You're going to have a column for the name of the creditor, a column for the phone number, a column for your account number. And you're going to then have a column for the total amount that you owe and the current interest rate and the monthly payment. Now, what you're going to discover is that there are going to be some small ones. You might have a credit card for four or $5,000, but you might have something else that's just two or $300. So the first thing you do is you take the credit cards and you do a little plastic surgery. You cut them up, cut them up into tiny pieces, throw them in the trash. If you're terrified of doing that, then get yourself a Tupperware container, a plastic container, maybe a container that used to have carry out coleslaw in it. And you fill it with water, put the credit cards in there, put it in the freezer. That way, if you're tempted to use the credit cards, you'll have a good long time to think about it before they're unfrozen. Because you're not going to put a card with a magnetic strip into the microwave, are you? That would be a bad idea, <laughs> especially a plastic card. So those are the two choices that you have if you really want to start going on an all-cash basis and just start paying cash for everything. You have to do it at some point. And that's going to cause you to take a quick look at your spending, take a hard look at your spending, and see what really matters. See what you really, really have to have. I'm going through something similar now, although I'm not paying off credit cards. I am taking, and I do this every year, I'm going through my spending, and I realize that I'm spending way too much on my cell phone service. It's the best service available in my region, but it's very expensive. And I'm going to be looking at ways that I can get a hold of the same network for less money. There are lots of ways to do that now, and I think I can probably reduce my cell phone cost by at least $100 to $150 a month. That's my goal. And then that money is not going to go to pay for other things. It's going to go into savings. That's what I'm trying to do personally. That's just an example of one of the things we can do. But again, if you're able to reduce some of those expenses, you can apply those savings directly to paying down debt. And here's why you want to do that. Paying down debt is the best investment you can make in yourself. Because if you put money in investments, that return is not certain. You'll probably do well, but it's not certain. It's not guaranteed, remember. And let's say you make 10% in the stock market. You've got to pay taxes on that. And the cost of living is going to eat that away. But if you're paying 18, 20, 24%, God forbid, on a credit card, that's interest that you no longer have to pay. If you pay that off, every dollar you pay off has interest that you no longer have to pay. That savings goes right into your pocket. That's guaranteed money in your pocket. That's a guaranteed rate of return of whatever the interest rate is. And it's tax-free. That's guaranteed tax-free money in your pocket. Paying off debt is definitely the best and first investment you want to make in yourself. So we refrain from paying, borrowing more money. And we, ref we then reduce the number of debts that we have. We pay off the little ones as quickly as we can. And we get it to the point where we've got just a few of those cards left. And then what we want to do is we want to pay the minimum payments at least 
on everything and we want to pay them on time. Okay, if you have a payment that's due and you're mailing a check, you've got to mail the check early enough so that you can make sure that the creditor receives it. Okay, it's not about it's not about when you mail it, it's when they receive it. If your payment is due on the first of the month, they have to get it before the first of the month. If the first of the month is on a Sunday and they get it Monday the second, it's late. So you've, we've got to just mentally think of ourselves as sending that money off maybe a week in advance if it's going through the mail. If you're paying online, obviously that's different. But even online bill pay with a bank or a credit union, if you're doing that, you've got to figure out how long it's going to take and plan ahead. And if you've got a smartphone, write a reminder. If you've got a calendar, write a reminder. Today's the day I've got to pay this bill. Not the day it's due, the day I've got to pay it. You want to get to the point where every one of your credit cards is receiving a payment on time or early, and you're paying them something in less than 30 days installments. 30 days goes by, you get into trouble. So we want to establish that. That's a lot. I know it's a lot of homework, but let's start with cutting up the credit cards or freezing them, figuring out how you're going to get on an all-cash basis, and then let's get rid of the little tiny stuff so we have fewer things to worry about. And then we want to get current on everything if we possibly can. If you can't, I'll tell you how to do that in our next podcast. We're almost out of time here. So I'm going to say goodbye for now. I know there's a lot of information. And I know you have a lot of questions. Again, you can email me at eric at thefinancialwizard.com. That's E-R-I-C at thefinancialwizard.com. I have faith in you. You can do this. I've done it. Other people have done it. I've seen it work. And you've got this. So until next week, take care of your money. I'll be talking with you soon. This presentation by Eric Henning is purely educational. Nothing in this presentation should be construed as giving specific or individual legal, tax, or investment advice. You should make major financial decisions only after consulting with competent professionals licensed in your place of residence. While we can't give individual financial advice, we'd love to answer your questions. Please send your money questions to us at Eric at thefinancialwizard.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, review it, and tell your friends.